Welcome to the Rock Church Audio Podcast. We are so glad that you joined us today. Rock Church is located on Harrison Avenue between Mulford and Perryville Roads in Rockford, Illinois. Now let's join Pastor Jared with today's message. Good to see you on this Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. Amen? <laughs> and it's uh, you know, a moment on the church calendar where we remember Jesus coming into Jerusalem as He begins a journey towards the cross. <laughs> and um, here's where I pray our hearts are today. I pray that we celebrate His arrival and His coming. I pray that we we open the gates of our hearts and we don't just recognize who He is, but rather we just invite Him to come and to dwell within us and to take up uh, residency within our hearts and our lives. And uh, I believe that as we look at the Word today, we're going to, uh, we're going to see that. We're going to be compelled uh, to have that kind of a response. Uh, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Let's read that and then we will... Uh, Pray for the remaining time that we have together. This is Matthew's recording of the triumphal entry. He writes in verse 1, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus said to, sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and, and did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and, sent him, and set him on them. <clears throat> and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before them and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Lord, we pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word. We pray, Father, as we remember your triumphal entry into Jerusalem this morning, Lord, may our hearts be open to receive you. And we pray, Father, for all of the resources that you have placed within this word, Lord, may they be poured into our lives as a work of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we open our ears. Lord, we, we, we set aside um, all that has transpired this week and all of the concerns that the week ahead has brought into our lives and we focus upon you and we say, speak, fill us, reveal yourself. 
Lord, we celebrate the safe return of Carlos today from El Salvador. We thank you for the trip, your blessing and favor that was upon him. We pray that you would give him good rest and recovery, Lord, as he has now returned home. And we look forward to hearing the good report of all that you have done. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we celebrate Palm Sunday this morning, we are marking the beginning of Holy Week. And Holy Week reminds us that it is one week until the resurrection. One week from today, we will be celebrating the moment when Christ was no longer held by the grave, but was resurrected unto life, reminding us that He overcame not only the grave, but He overcame death, and He overcame sin, so that we might have new life in Him. But between now and then, there are many things that transpire. You know, Holy Week is kind of like this. As the days go by and as we enter into it more and more, there's a building momentum. There is a, 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 a rapid exchange of things that are coming, that are fulfilling the promise and the hope of the Word. And as we remember those events, we're reminded that in Holy Week, Jesus is preparing His disciples for His departure. He knows that He's no longer going to be walking with them on a daily basis. And throughout Holy Week, He's, he's preparing not only Himself, but His disciples for that departure. It's a part of the reason why in John 14, He's telling them, you know, comfort yourself with these words. And he tells them of what is going to happen and what it is going to mean to them. And he says this, Peace I leave with you. So when as he prepares himself for his departure, he will ultimately be falsely accused. He will be tried. He will be condemned by an angry crowd that will choose Barabbas over him, and then he will be crucified, buried, and resurrected. You know, so why is Holy Week significant, and why is it important for us to remember these events that transpired? And it is critical and important to us because it reminds us that Jesus identifies with everything that we can go through. And in it all, He overcame. <laughs> he knows what it means to be separated. He knows what it means to be falsely accused. He knows what it means to be condemned. And because of that, He is a Savior who identifies with us. But our text takes us to the very beginning of that whole process. The triumphal entry. Which marks the beginning of Jesus' journey to the cross. And this was a scene unlike any other. Matthew says, the city was moved. 
Not just the gate that he came into, not just the the people who were directly around him, but rather as Jesus came into the city, it was moved. And this was the fulfillment of prophecy. When, When Matthew records the words, tell the daughters of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. They are reciting the words of Zechariah the prophet. And it is the fulfillment of that which had been foretold. And because of that fulfillment, rejoicing filled the hearts of the people and the city was moved. They received him with shouts of Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then finally, Hosanna in the highest. Why don't we just make that last declaration ourselves this morning? Hosanna in the highest. Repeat that again with me. Let's say it together. Hosanna in the highest. Okay, you're getting it. Let's do it one more time. Hosanna in the highest. Those words are faith building. They lift our vision because they remind us that there is one who has come who is higher than us. He is the King. They were convinced in that moment that everything that they had been waiting for was transpiring. Messiah has come. Our King has come To set us free. And those words are true. But Jesus was coming to establish a different reign and a different kingdom. One that they were not expecting. It's the power of Palm Sunday. It reminds us That as Jesus came into the city, he was ushering in a regime change. A regime change that was not just for a people, but for all people. A regime change that was not just physical, but spiritual. A regime change that was not just for a time, but rather it was for all time. And Jesus entering into the city was coming in not as a warlike Messiah. Not one whose rise would, 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 would happen and then He would fade away. But rather, He came to establish a kingdom that is both eternal and unshakable. And I believe that As they were seeing his entrance, they were not only being reminded of what Zechariah the prophet had spoken, but they were being reminded of other things from the Scriptures that they had been taught. But these truths they were not seeing quite as clearly. They were looking for something in the now, and Jesus was doing something for all eternity. You know, Moses, after the Red Sea crossing, and you remember that story? Moses and the nation are literally in between a rock and a hard place. Pharaoh charging at them, a sea 
at their back. Where do we go from here? And we know that the story tells us the Lord parts the Red Sea. The nation crosses on dry ground. And then as Pharaoh and his army begin to cross over on the same path, they are swallowed up by the sea. And after that event, the celebration that takes place, there's a song of Moses that rises. And it, it, it's a song that we have sung in the church over the years. You know, the horse and the rider have fallen into the sea. And then at the end of it, Moses makes this declaration. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. We're celebrating resurrection, but you know, the, the, the birth of Christ at Christmas reminds us of the nature of this kingdom that Jesus came to establish. Isaiah chapter 9 is one of the very familiar passages that we, we recite every Christmas season because it reminds us that Jesus is the wonderful counselor and the prince of peace. And then in Isaiah 9, 7, Isaiah declares these words, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And then, as the New Testament is being written, the disciple, the Apostle John, reminds us in the book of Revelation of what is going to take place in the future. And you know what? I'm going to read this to you and you're going to see it on the screen, but I want you to receive it with more than just your eyes and your ears today because I want you to allow this to enter your heart because this is life-giving and hope-building. John declares this. He says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and We win. We win. Nothing can change the fact that the kingdom that Christ has established is both eternal and unshakable. The regime change that was beginning was not the reforming of something old, but rather it was the establishment of something new. But it was not what they desired or expected. Their hope had been placed on gaining political power. They were celebrating because they thought that there was going to be a governmental change, that the Roman Empire was going to be overthrown and that Jesus was going to sit on an earthly throne. They were not seeing the eternal work that was being done. They, want, they were longing for the restoration of national sovereignty, for the restoration of military power that could be exerted over their enemies. But as Jesus is entering the city and as He is beginning Holy Week, 
A week that was going to establish a kingdom that is both eternal and unshakable. He is essentially declaring to them, I don't want to rule your land. I want to rule your heart. I want to rule your heart. And this is the power of Palm Sunday. Jesus is King and He rules in our hearts. So you see, Jesus gives us this perspective about His kingdom. John 18, verse 36 says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. <laughs> See, the kingdom of Christ is not flesh and blood. It is not physical. It is not material things, but rather it dwells within the hearts of men. And I want to say to all of us today, as we remember His triumphal entry Lift up your eyes! The King has come! And His kingdom is all around you! It knows no boundary. And it knows no end. And as His followers, and as those who have invited Him to dwell within us, we need to look for the kingdom around us. We need to not become distracted by earthly matters and the things that fire will consume and eternity will cast away. But rather, we need to be looking all around us for the work of the kingdom because He has invited us to join Him in it <laughs> that others might see and experience the King who dwells within and changes the hearts of men. And as I'm reminded of Jesus saying, my kingdom is not of this world, it challenges us to elevate the kingdom higher than everything in this physical world that surrounds us. And that essentially, essentially gives us a new way of living, a new perspective for life, a redefinition of life after we know Him. And then it raises this question within us, how do we live in a world we don't belong to? And there are a number of ways that we can answer that question. And, and at times we might be uh, tempted to answer it this way. Don't engage in anything. Pull back. You know, there, there are even some Jesus-loving people who have drawn that conclusion. And you know, they pull back from society to such a degree that they don't participate in society. Is that what Jesus is calling us to? No. 
As his followers, we, we, we don't adopt a, a heart and a worldview and a mindset that says whatever will be, will be. God is in control. He's going to do what He wants. That is not how we live in a world that we don't belong to. The other extreme is we become consumed and obsessed by current events and everything that is going around us. And then we know that we are swinging towards the obsession when we're talking about world events more than we're talking about Jesus. His name is to forever be on our lips. We, we are to proclaim His kingdom. We are to announce His coming. We are to share with others the fact that a Savior has come. And He is coming again. And when the church's voice is silent in regards to the proclamation of the Gospel, we have swung to an extreme that has embraced the temptation to become consumed by current events and the things that are going around us. And that is not where Christ has called us to live. Because He has made, made us ambassadors. He has called us to carry on His work. He said, greater things are you going to do. And we can't do them if we're doing nothing and if we're not living for the kingdom. So where is the sweet spot that we are called to live? And I'll, I'll just kind of define it this way. We exercise influence in this life. but we give our lives to the King of Kings in His kingdom. So here's the reality. If you are still here, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And where you go, the Scriptures say He wants your light to shine. So there is an influence that we bring. And church, I want you to know that when you go about your day, where you walk, you bring an authority with you that is not of this world. It's the reason why we can step into situations that are defined by conflict and brokenness and we can bring the kingdom. It's the reason why God wants to use you to accomplish more than you can even see or imagine. Because it's not by our might or by our power, but it's by His Spirit. So we determine to exercise influence in this life by giving our lives to the King of Kings and His Kingdom. And here's the conversation that I want to avoid with the Lord one day. All right, I think we need to live this life understanding that one day we will stand before Him. Because just the mere thought of that kind of changes your priorities. <clears throat> and, and here is a question that I don't want the Lord to, to ask me one day. Why did you make that the main thing? 
I mean, think about that for a minute. Why did you make that the main thing? You know, maybe there's a little bit of distress you know, in your family, and, and we can choose to focus on the circumstance of the moment when in reality the Lord is asking you to bring the gentleness of His Spirit, the barrier-breaking power of His love, the power of His truth that sets free, and to do it in a way you know, that captures the hearts of people and opens their ears. You know, so, you know, why did you make that the main thing? It's something I just do not want the Lord to ask me one day. Because Palm Sunday reminds us that Jesus is a different kind of king. And because of that, we should be a different kind of people. And if we are just looking like the people around us and the world around us, we are not being different. I want to remind us this morning of how Jesus is different. He's different because he came to serve. Matthew 20, 28. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He did not come to be served, but he came to serve. And then here's the reality of his kingdom. As king, as a king with a servant heart, he didn't just come to serve the respected and the strong and the successful but rather he came to serve the poor and the weak and the powerless and the lost and the lonely and in doing so he demonstrates the character of a faithful servant in response to one of the stories that pastor marty shared when Jesus was being criticized for eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, he told the Pharisees, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but it is those who are sick. And I have come to those who are poor in spirit that they might have eternal life. And he demonstrated that servant's heart for us in such a practical way and it sets an example for us in regards to how we should live because he provided care when people were in need you know when there were moments when he was meeting physical needs and moments when he was meeting spiritual needs and it was all to reveal the glory and the power of the kingdom and the king who reigns there with him He delighted in others. He gave honor to where honor was due. He celebrated people. To the degree that there was a moment when a Roman centurion stood before him, a Gentile, 
who needed Jesus to move on his behalf. And the man responds and says, you know what, Jesus, I understand authority. I understand you know, what it means for you to tell one to go because they will go. And Jesus looks at him and he honors him. He says, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. Servant's heart that served people, that met needs, that came alongside and affirmed kingdom truth, that delighted in others. And the Lord has given us that assignment to do the same because when we serve others like Jesus served them, it reveals the heart of the Father. See, the kingdom is not just announced in word, but it is announced in action. When people see it, it captures them. And it begins to force questions to be asked, like the one that was being asked as Jesus came into the city. Who is this? Who is this? Jesus is a different kind of king because that we need to be a different kind of people. He came to serve. He calls us to serve, but he also sets an example of humility. Philippians 2, 7 and 8 give us an incredible picture of how and to what degree our Lord humbled himself. Paul writes, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. And I want you to, to see that Holy Week is the culmination of this humility. Because He who had everything became nothing. He made Himself nothing. The King of glory humbled Himself to the degree that He took on the form of a servant. And He was obedient even unto death. Jesus is different and He calls you and I to be different. And this humility was demonstrated on Palm Sunday by how Jesus came into the city. On Palm Sunday, He rode on a donkey. He could have came with the finest fanfare, riding the greatest stallion, being announced with proclamation and the sound of trumpets as he came into the city, but rather he rode in on a donkey, a symbol of meekness and peace. But even more significantly than that, a beast of burden. He came as a servant king, a humble king, riding on a beast of burden because he was carrying a burden. He knew full well the week that Palm Sunday began for him. 
And as he enters Jerusalem, Jesus is carrying that burden because he's preparing himself to suffer and to die on a cross. A cross where he will bear the burden of our sin. All of the sin that we have committed, all of the sin of the world for all time, to the degree that he will be forsaken. And the Father will turn from him in that moment because the sin of all man for all time has been placed upon him. A humble servant king who left the glory of heaven to die on the cross for you and me. And he did it for this reason. He did it because he did not come to subjugate mankind, but he came to set mankind free. Free from sin. Free from the fear of death. And I say, why are we being reminded that Jesus is a servant and a humble king today? And I'll give you this simple answer. It's because it reminds us that love is sacrificial. Why did he come? It was because he loved. Why did he serve? It was because he loved. Why did he give his life? It was because he loved us. And that sacrificial love reminds us today that people are worth it. They're worth it because He died for every one of us. It reminds us to esteem others higher than ourselves and it reminds us that love redefines life. To the degree that we serve like he served, we humble ourselves like he humbled himself. And we live like he lived. He has set us free to do just that. And the bond of that love that we share with him is one that we are called to share with one another even within the community of believers because when we receive Christ we become a part of a family a community and a people and I'm going to take the remaining moment that we have here to remind us of something. It's called kingdom community. 
because the start of Holy Week on Palm Sunday and the celebration of resurrection next Sunday reminds us that we have been made a part of something that is bigger than ourselves. A kingdom and a family. And you know, through the life of Christ and the values of the kingdom are revealed. And then when we as believers live out those values, we spread them. <laughs> and, and, and I'm going to land for just a second on something that is uh, not you know, clearly articulated within the Scriptures. And you might say, this is kind of a non-traditional Palm Sunday example but it illustrates in my mind what kingdom community should look like. You know, in relation to the disciples, we oftentimes remember their most challenging moments, don't we? You know, Peter stepped out of the boat, but then he sank. And Thomas walked with Jesus throughout his ministry you know, and then because of the fact that he said, I've got to put my hand in his side and my fingers in his nail-scarred hands, we call him Doubting Thomas. And then we remember, you know, James and John because, you know, they wanted to be seated next to Jesus because like the crowd in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, they had this perspective of an earthly throne and they said, you know what, we want to be at your left and we want to be at your right. And, and, and we, re, we, we remember these moments, and they oftentimes are the things that are quick to stick in our minds, when the reality is there is so much more to the story. And I was reminded about one of these specific events where there was so much more being revealed, and there was more going on behind the scenes than what we, we quickly recognize. And it's all associated around Peter's denial of Jesus. During Holy Week, after the triumphal entry. And, and you'll remember this. Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's taken away. And, and people begin to scatter, but Peter follows Jesus. He kind of follows the crowd around Jesus from a distance. He's keeping his eye on things. He wants to, to, to comprehend you know, what is going to transpire. And, 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 and then there's a, a, a detail that we oftentimes forget because I don't know about you, but most oftentimes I kind of think Peter was alone in this. But the Gospel of John records that there was one that followed along who's unnamed. Scholars think it was John because it comes out of the Gospel of John and the disciple John does not write his name in his writings. And it's an interesting detail because the account in John just says, along with another disciple. So it's an interesting scene. Jesus is arrested, a crowd takes him away. Peter is following from a distance, and then apparently there's another one following Peter from a distance. And you know how it goes. Peter denies knowing Christ not once, not twice, but three times. 
over the course of that evening. And when, when I look at that in light of Peter's life, and certainly up to that moment, I have to believe that Peter felt like that was his greatest failure. That like when he came to his senses and he recognized what he did, he more than likely said to himself, this is the, my lowest point. It was an incredible life, uh, incredible challenging, an incredibly challenging and defining moment for Peter and the disciples. Because among the disciples, there had to be powerful emotions that were being stirred up. Emotions of betrayal. Man, you know, Peter, he was kind of kind of favored. You know, Jesus kind of doted on him. You know, there was promise that came to Peter. There, was, there were words that Jesus spoke directly to him. And now look at this. He's denied him. Three times. Betrayal. Disappointment. Uncertainty. Doubt. What does this mean for the future? These are the kind of things that, that break relationship and wound the heart deeply. But between the evening, when Peter denied Christ, and the moment, days later, when Jesus restored him, there had to be kingdom community taking place. Because the question that my mind asked is this. Well, how did the disciples find out? There's one of two things. Either Peter told them, or John told on Peter. And in that moment, when, when that happened, when their hearts are wounded, emotions are raw, they're feeling disappointment, betrayal, uncertainty, and there's a revelation of what came to light. The disciples maintained relationship. And then ultimately, Peter was restored. See, this demonstrates kingdom community in my mind. Because the world says when someone betrays you, cut them off. the disciples came around their brother who in his most challenging defining moment they did not reject him and it reveals a kingdom value you know one that we're called to live out even yet today and it's this and I want you to write this down, and I want you to think about it. That in the kingdom, there is no distinction 
between the weak and the strong. But we are all called to live in community with one another. Let that settle in for a moment. The King who reigns in our hearts has placed us in a kingdom that operates with a value that says there is no distinction between the weak and the strong. But we walk with and we live with one another in every moment, whether it is our finest or our most challenging. Because in the kingdom, weakness is not vulnerability. Because in our weakness, Christ is made strong. In the kingdom, strength does not make one superior over another because we all share the reality that our lives are this dichotomy of strength and weakness. We are all imperfect. We all need a Savior. And because of that, we are knit together in a way that supersedes everything that wants to tear us apart. And everything that wants to divide us. Let me give you this picture of the kingdom. The lion lays down with the lamb. It doesn't make sense from a worldly perspective because one devours the other, but in the kingdom, the lion lays down with the lamb. In the kingdom, Jesus, the good shepherd, leaves the 99 to go after the one who has strayed. Because in the kingdom, there's no distinction between the weak and the strong, but we all live together in community. But in order for that to take place and to be a reality in this community and in every congregation, there's a regime change that needs to take place. No more responding in the way that the world responds. We now respond the way the King responds to us. We let Him rule our hearts. We let His values fill our heart. Because of that, we must invite Him in. We must invite Him in daily. And we sing a song that reminds us of this reality, and it's, it, it's one that I love. We invite you in. Come and rule. We invite you in. Have your way. It's a daily process. See, we're... We're used to making Christ the center of our worship. We're used to making Christ the center of our prayers. But He also needs to be the center of our thoughts and the center of our responses, the center of our reactions. 
And Jesus would say to us, when something is happening that, that wants to entice you to pull away, draw close. Bring His kingdom near. And that's exactly what the disciples did. See, they may not have liked Peter in that moment very much. You know, to put it in a modern day context, they, they may have said to him, you know what, brother, you dropped the ball at the goal line. But in spite of that, they stood with him. We may, not, or we may not understand one another all the time. We may not always agree with one another all the time. But because we belong to the kingdom, we still walk together. <laughs> because weakness and failure do not disqualify. Love covers a multitude of sins. Christ is King and Lord over all, and He demonstrates His strength in our weakness. And in doing so, He reveals His glory. We need to think of community this way. It creates the environment for healing. It creates the environment for restoration because it creates the environment to encounter Jesus. And when we pull ourselves away from community, we are disconnecting ourselves from the primary way that God works in us. Because the disciples do not reject Peter, but rather they walk with him through it. And then there's that beautiful encounter that happens with the risen Lord. Where Jesus talks to Peter directly again. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Not once. Not twice, but three times. Jesus restores him. I just have to say that we need to esteem highly the need to be together. And we need to understand and recognize what is to take place when we are together. You know, and because of this, you know, I just have to say, when you hear us talking about small groups and Bible studies and prayer groups and evangelism teams, and all of the different things that happen in this kingdom community. We are not proclaiming them just to have you give more of your time, but rather we are inviting you to enter into something that will cause you to encounter Jesus so that you can know His life and His healing and His restoration. 
because that is the way the kingdom works. So let's be mindful of the example that Palm Sunday gives us. But then let's engage and be a part of what God is doing today, not just having an eye focused on the circumstances surrounding us, but rather seeing the work of the kingdom that is all around us. And I want to end that way. And I want to conclude with a question that you're going to ask of yourself and that you're going to bring before the Lord. And it's this. Where do I need His grace to apply this? Where do I need His grace to apply this? There's a personal application. There's a corporate application. And then to help answer that question, I'm going to give you one more, and it's this. Who is your Peter? Who is your Peter? Is there a brother or sister in the faith who, like Peter, has found themselves at a defining moment that they look upon with either regret or confusion? Because you know what? They need to be surrounded. You might, you might say, you know what, I kind, of, I, feel, I kind of feel like Peter myself. You know, and I just want to say to you, if you feel like Peter today, you need to embrace the kingdom community that is around you. Because our accuser will maximize every opportunity to remind you of that failure. He'll try to convince you that there is no hope. Our accuser will drag us down. Jesus extends a hand and says, I want to lift you up. And you know what? I'm going to do it, but I'm also going to do it through my people. So would you just take a moment right now you know, to ponder this before we go. Where do you need, to, need His grace to apply this today? Who is your Peter? So why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes. And you just say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, I pray for a still, small voice across this room and in every living room and every location that's watching this today. Lord, we're 
as we quiet ourselves before you speak. Lord, I pray that we would all hear your voice and see a clear picture. Lord, may we invite you in. May we follow your example. May we see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Not just today, but every day. Lord, give us the grace to apply these things. Lord, give us a, 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 a love that is filled with, uh, give us a heart that is filled with sacrificial love for the Peters. And Lord, give us the strength to look up today if we are Peter. And may we take a step, Lord, of reestablishing family and community. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, guide us and direct us. Lead us and help us, I pray. And as we go from this place, I ask, Lord, for your grace and your peace to rest upon all of us. I pray that you would watch over us and keep us. I pray for your favor to be our portion. And Lord, as we endeavor to serve you, smile upon us in a way that fills us with your love and your joy and your peace. And I thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on our podcast today. We hope this has been a blessing in your life, and we look forward to having you joining us in person for a service soon. Our service times are Thursday nights at 7 o'clock and two services on Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. God bless you.